You're listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast, a show where a philosopher and a rocket scientist try to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennel and Joel Cade. Hi, and welcome to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science. He is the left guard, Dr. Joel Cade, philosophy professor at the left guard. I'm the Village Elliot at TH Village Elliot. Together, we hope to offer unique perspectives on the hardest game in the universe, NFL football. And today, we have a special guest, Randy Gersey, who is the well-known editor of Dog Pound Daily. And Joel, what are we going to do to benefit from the uh, the the Oracle of Dog Pound Daily. What questions do we have ready for him? Randy. Yes. Introduce yourself, man. Who are you? What are you about? Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, as Elliot just said, my name's Randy Gersey. I am the, I guess the the actual title is site expert. I, I guess they go away from the editor title for some reason, but uh, site expert for uh, Dog Pound Daily. And uh, I also, you can also catch me on the Landry hat, which is not about Jarvis Landry. It's about the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I write on there and occasionally you can see me on Who Dat Dish uh, writing about the New Orleans Saints as well. Wow. Wow. How do, how do you have time for all this? I don't sleep. Um, I've found that you can get a whole lot done if you cut out the entire eight hours where most humans sleep. There's a <clears> lot of production you can get done. I think also you cut out the shaving part. And mm-hmm. a lot of personal grooming. Yeah, yeah. If you get rid of bathing, um, that's you know thirty minutes a day or so. You do that seven day, you know, seven days a week. It adds up. Awesome. That's that's <laughs> tremendous. All right, Elliot. What we got on store today? What do we got for for uh, for Randy? Well, I'm I'm very interested to find out about your observations about the the uh, training camp so far, the the uh, uh, workouts that they've been having. Uh, you've got an eye for football that I don't have. I can tell you about the statistics, perhaps, and uh, some of the off-season uh, philosophy behind uh, what they're doing. But I really don't have an eye for uh, what's going on as far as discovering talent and how the, these uh, pieces that they're putting together really fit. But what have you been able to see, uh, uh, Randy, with uh, the players and how they're progressing as a team? I think you're giving me too much credit because according to Twitter, I'm an idiot and I don't know anything. Well, but um, everybody's Twitter, 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 <laughs> Twitter is full of absolutely Mensa quality content. Here's my favorite thing about it. I, I, I won't go off the rabbit trail long, but my favorite thing is like um, during the off season, every move is perfect and everybody is wonderful. And Andrew Barry's great. And Kevin Stefanski's great. Stefanski's great. During the season, they're all idiots and should be fired. So that's what I've learned from Brown's Twitter. Um, It's fantastic to kind of go on that roller coaster ride with them. Um, And and, and like right now, if I say anything negative, I get told I'm the worst person in the world. Um, And if I try to say something positive, even after a loss, I'm also the worst person in the world. So I've learned just to to roll with that. Um, But as far as what I've seen, um, I really like the, the, the direction that this team's going. I love, I love Andrew Barry as a general manager. I think he's doing a phenomenal job of building the talent around the team. Um, and I, I think that they, the, the roster that you're seeing right now, they started building it last year, but it was always, you know, I'd said last year, I was kind of exercising caution to people that tw- the plan was never for 22. The plan was for 23, 22 was going to be frustrating. Um, 
because they had bits and pieces here and there. You're you're working with uh, Jacoby Brissett, waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. But they're getting a couple of the pieces, getting some people acclimated. But this offseason, they've really kind of finished. Or not, I shouldn't say finished, but they've tried to finish their rebuild, try to finish building this roster. And if you look at what they've done, it's they've really built it around Deshaun Watson. Um, he likes the big-bodied receivers and – you know, he said as much when they, you know, that's why they went for someone like Cedric Tillman. And you, you've got that now. You've got the 6'2", 215, 220-pound guys like, you know, Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones on the outside. They both are actually even capable of moving into the slot. Then you've got uh, Mark uh, Elijah Moore, who can do the same thing, kind of move around. He's he To me, he's always been that missing element. That's what they didn't have in the offense last year. They didn't have that shifty kind of guy that could take a short slant pass and take it to the house, that could stretch the defense, do all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then you also got the two tight ends now with, with Njoku and Jordan Aikens, who I think is going to give them what they thought they were having with Hooper and Njoku a few years ago. Um, I just, I really like the direction that the offense has gone. I like what they built. Um, they have a, of course, they have a great run game. They're always going to have a great run game. And I think a lot of people got upset when, when Stefanski said they were going to try to run the ball less, but I think people got bent out of shape out of that for no reason when really he's not saying we're not going to run the ball. He's saying we're going to run the ball less. And in the end, that's going to make Nick Chubb a little more efficient. Um, you're not going to pound him 20 times a game early in the season when it doesn't matter. So he's going to be fresh at the end of the year. We saw after last year after what, week 12, 13, whatever it was, he didn't get any touchdowns. Um, they just, mm -hmm. they beat him up. So this year, I think they're going to have more of a finesse offense, uh, an offense that can, you know, run with the different teams. Um, and then at the same time, you've got the running back that can keep, the defense on the field and keep them fresh when they need to, when they have a lead. Um, but that's just the offense on defense. I love it as well. I love what they've done. Hey, let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about the offense. You're talking about all this offensive talent. You've got mm -hmm. this guy, that guy, that guy, and they all cost a lot of money. So how are the Browns yeah. getting all these people in the salary cap? Two, two ways. One salary cap's not real. Uh, and two, it goes back to what I just said. They've been planning for this year. They last year when everyone was saying, Hey, we've got $22 million in the salary cap space. We should go after Nanam Kamatsu. We should go after this person. They weren't going to do any of that because mm -hmm. they knew 22, they, were, they weren't winning anything. If they did get into the playoffs, it was going to be an early bounce. You know, this was all built towards this year. So they wanted to roll that $22 million into this year, use that to kind of pay for some of these people. Um, They'll do the same thing next year. They'll, 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 they'll make a plan. They'll figure something out. Um, the salary cap, I always joke around about it and say it's absolutely not real. The, the, the truth is the salary cap is more of a guideline than a rule. You know, there, there's ways around it. Um, Andrew Barry is smart enough to figure out how to work with it. And Elliot, you yeah. were talking earlier today about how it's increasing so much each year. So they understand that, and they're always planning for that. Um, and all the contracts are kind of structured to where they can be renegotiated after a year or two and kick the can down the road. Um so yeah, they, they they're able to they're able to afford it because great cap management, uh, great math work, and because the cap's not real. So Elliot, what do you think? Is the cap real? Well, I, I've had a religious conversion on this point. <laughs> he had um, come to I, Jesus. I, you know, I was yeah. I've had a terrible off season, frankly. Um, when uh, <laughs> Sashi Brown was the uh, general manager, I was in lockstep, and everything that. that uh, the Browns did. I was able to predict, and I was really on the money with Sashi Brown. And uh, uh, where I really uh, parted ways uh, with uh, Andrew Barry was I did not believe that the Browns were going to extend uh, uh, 
Deshaun Watson. I thought, oh man, they got to pay down that contract. He's got the biggest uh, uh, amount of guaranteed money in the NFL, and they've got to pay it down. And uh, and which is what Eric DaCosta did over in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. That's the way that I was thinking up until this offseason. I thought that's got to be what the Browns have to do. And then, lo and behold, uh, you know, I thought they'd, they would uh, extend everybody else except for Deshaun Watson. And the first thing they did was turn around and extend Deshaun Watson. And then I started to think about it, and I thought, you know what? The, uh, the situation is different now because the cap really is going up by, you know, this year or projected 13.9% from this year to next. And it's probably going to get worse. I don't want to interject politics into sports, but man, the American economy is inflating, and it might be twenty percent the year after that. And so the you know the the out year money is just not worth as much as the present year money, and it behooves the mm-hmm. NFL general manager to push things into the future. That is the right strategy. That was not the right strategy five years ago, but it is the right strategy now. You heard it here and from Elliot. Elliot is no, no, come Jesus. I think what <laughs> you said right there is yeah, I think what you said right there is is perfect, Elliot, that it, this wasn't the way to go five years ago. And it, it's what teams are doing now and it's working now. And and kind of like what you know, look at Deshaun Watson's contract. You know, everyone said that was the absolute worst contract they've ever seen. You know, what was it? You know, the 30, it 45 was. million, whatever average. Now, all of a but sudden, this contract doesn't look. No. And I mean, you look look at the way it's gone throughout the years. I remember when Dak Prescott signed his contract and everyone thought the Cowboys were absolutely insane. Well, now he's right at $40 million. He's is, is even in the top. I think he's probably still in the top 10 uh, for, for contract, but there are several guys well ahead of him already, you know, more than 10% higher than him only a couple of years later. Um, well, who's ahead of Sean Watson so far? You got Lamar Jackson's making more per year. Uh, Jalen Hurts is making more per year. Um, so it's like, you know, get once you get into three years or so into that contract, it's, you know, becomes a bargain. I mean, how long ago did we think the $25 million per year for Derek Carr was insane uh, when he signed that deal with the Raiders? Like we thought that was absolutely nuts. And now there's no way, I mean, you're going to get any quarterback for $25 million. Well, part of that Derek Carr thing was that you gave Derek Carr $25 million a year. Yeah. No, I will that agree. Was that part was part of that insanity. That was, well, that it, was it, part it of it. It depends but... on what year it is and you know what the cap hit is at that year. But right now, Deshaun Watson's uh, cap hit, I think, is something like $19 million. Uh, and it's you know the cap hit in this year is not that high. Uh, now next year it is uh, something that's like sixty-eight million or some number like that, and they will have to extend it next year. They will have to give him an extension as long as he has a good year and they're happy with him. It's all good, um, but they will also have to grant other extensions in order to uh, uh, balance the budget because they're eighty million dollars overspent next year. And but that, they can do that. see that goes. That and that's where Andrew Barry, you can watch him and see he's already thinking that because I might not have been huge on the Cedric Tillman pick at first, but the more I sat back and looked at what was going on, I kind of I understand what he's doing. He knew that 
Donovan People Jones is going into the final year of his contract. You've got to have something in hand there. Cedric Tillman mm-hmm. can come in and replace him. Amari Cooper's contract's getting a little bit higher, but hey, here's Elijah Moore who could eventually possibly develop into a, a number one wide receiver. So he's constantly trying to build that depth and have somebody there to where, hey, if we need to cut some salary, need to make some room, we can move from this guy and go with, you know, plan B. So he's mm-hmm. always trying to think of that, which, you know, good general managers have to do that. All right, guys, so let's switch gears for a second. We're at OTAs. We talked about the offense. We've figured out what's going on with the salary cap. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, infamously, famously, infamously, whatever you want to say it, did not show up to OTAs. So, Randy, with your expert opinion here, should the Browns fans be concerned with Miles Garrett not being at OTAs? No, I don't think you should be concerned. And I think I kind of I was a little critical of Miles and I'll tell you why. And I don't I don't think people people got mad because they've never met Miles Garrett, but they're willing to commit murder to defend him and defend his honor. But they weren't hearing what I was trying to say. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw so I'll break it down for you guys. Here's my opinion on Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett's not a team leader. And I don't care that he's not a team leader. I don't, you, you don't need 53 team leaders. You just don't. You, everybody should fit to their own role and do what mm-hmm. they do. Miles Garrett, to me, he's not much of a leader. He, but he really, really wants to be a leader. And he Correct. wants to come out there and he, and he wants to stand at the podium and tell you how amazing he is. And he wants to tell you how bad everybody else is doing at their job. He wants to rip the coaches. He wants to rip Perry on Winfrey publicly, even rip Baker Mayfield publicly for Baker Mayfield saying hitting someone in the head with a helmet is not acceptable, which Baker was right. Um, Unless so you're Miles wants Rogers, to, that's okay. That's yeah. So Miles wants to be that guy who says the right things and does the right things and is the person that people look up to. But then he doesn't want to, you know, he even made comments about people needing to be more committed last season when they were w- winning. But then he doesn't want to be there in OTAs and when the teams, you know, at the end of the year and you're what seven and eight or whatever it is. And Hey, can you salvage a season? He's like, well, I don't know, but let's talk about whether or not I can win the defensive player of the year award or whether or not I can get the NFL sack. He's wanting to eat. He's a me first guy. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Plenty of me first guys in the NFL succeed, but he's just, all I was saying is he continues to prove that he's not a leader. Like people think he is. And and I'm again, totally okay with that. Just fit your role, play your role, whatever. Now, on the flip side, the only reason I really do have an issue, again, I don't think that you need to be concerned. He's not going to come out and have a bad year. He's not going to come demand a trade. But if he was so adamant that the coaching staff was the problem and saying things like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're going to run through a brick wall if we don't know where we're going. He's basically saying Joe Woods isn't telling us the right things to do. They lose to the Patriots, and he says Joe Woods is the problem because he didn't make adjustments. You, you were adamant that Joe Woods is the problem. They got rid of Joe Woods brought in Jim Schwartz and you're still not there for OTA. So it's like, it would have been good. You want to be involved in all these things. You want to have a say, you want to decide who's going to be the coach, who's not going to be the coach. Well then show the hell up with the new coach and show some kind of a backing. If that's, you can't be a leader just by talking, you have to actually have action. And that's where my problem is with that. It's again, it doesn't mean his play is going to be bad or any of that. It's just, I don't want to hear it from you if you're not going to show it. So I, I went out yesterday on my podcast uh, that you were on last week, Randy, uh, what the elf was that? And talked about this issue. <clears throat> you guys can listen to that wherever you pick up your podcast. And I said pretty much the same thing. Being there, not being there. I mean, OTAs are about let's learn how to practice. Let's learn the scheme. Let's learn the playbook so we don't have to learn it in training camp. Let's figure out what's expected of us in practice. And I think that's a lot of what we see Jim Schwartz in the news for, wearing the jersey, um, Today, there are some tweets out about how he's constantly correcting people. You need to be here. You need to be there, demanding perfection. 
not being there kind of takes you out of that and you have to relearn that or learn that while everyone else is already used to it. And the other thing he could be at, at OTAs doing is helping other people. If, if you're going to yeah. be a leader, OTAs is the perfect opportunity. Learn the playbook. If you decide not to go out on the field, fine. Don't go out on the field. But you can help you somebody with your techniques. You can't lead when you're not there, though. Yeah, exactly. And then you you lose your credibility to say things like it's the coach's fault or this person's fault. Well, then you're not the one showing up. And you want to know a perfect example that he doesn't have that credibility. People tell me he's a great leader. Well, the perfect example that he's not is last year when he was bashing the coaches and bashing, bashing players and he was unhappy about whatever. They asked Kevin Stefanski and his response was Miles speaks for Miles. He didn't say Miles speaks for his team or Miles. We're listening to what Miles said. He said, Miles speaks for Miles and we're going to deal with that. And then Miles ended up yeah. getting himself uh, benched for a little bit or whatever. But you're right. If you want that credibility and you want the coaches to listen to you, you got, I want this input. I want you guys to install this game plan. I mean, he's had a problem with every defensive coordinator so far. Well, they're not going to mm -hmm. listen to your input until you're also showing that you care and that you're invested beyond just yourself. Yeah. You, well, like you said, you you're, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to interject one, one thing is I think is you guys are thinking like coaches, but I think you also need to think like general managers. Do you know how much guaranteed money miles Garrett has on his 2024 contract? More than the coaches do. False. <laughs> <laughs> he has zero dollars on uh, 2024. On 24, he does? Yes, zero. I didn't know. Okay. So it's, it's obvious. And, and the other thing is, you know, that even if they, uh, you know, extend uh, Deshaun Watson and put him back on the $10 million uh, cap plan, you know. That's only when he has a suspension looming. No, no, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, if they you know get him down to some very low number and give him two yeah. more years or whatever uh, on his deal, uh, and uh, they still don't have enough uh, in one contract to fix the cap, they need to restructure somebody big like Garrett in order to get under the cap next season. So they really do need to restructure Miles Garrett. And uh, so I think Garrett is, and I'm sure they're talking about it behind the scenes. And I think Miles Garrett is just kind of letting them know that, yeah, I'd really like to have a couple uh, years extension on my deal. And I'd like to have some more money. And by the way, this, uh, this uh, inflationary uh, NFL is eating into all that money that I thought that I had. It's now worth 15% less every year. And, you know what I've noticed though? Is um, and this isn't a knock on Miles, Deshaun, any of them that are signing the five year deals. Have you noticed how many players have kind of caught on to how quickly the contracts are going up? And so now all of a sudden, the three year contracts, the new five year deal. Players don't want to sign yeah. for more than three years anymore. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I always talked about LeBron James in the NBA and how he was one of the smartest players ever because every year he was signing a one year deal. So it was like he was always the highest paid player because he can go yeah. into every offseason and go, hey, this is what I want. And I, I, I don't know. I think I think players players are getting smarter about it too. They're they're noticing exactly what you're talking about. They're noticing the inflation and, and understanding. Hey, I, I want what's mine. And switching gears here. Speaking of free agents and people wanting what's theirs, let's switch on to the post June first cuts and the free agents that'll be out there post June first. Elliot, you got anything on this, man? Well, yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, point out that uh, because the rules change uh, after June 1st and you're allowed to amortize the 
player's salary over two years instead of one, <laughs> that means that um, there's going to be some extra cap money for teams that have uh, cuts that are made after June 1st. And, of course, the Browns have uh, John Johnson, and uh, they also have uh, Jadevian Clowney that are coming off the roster on June 1st. So there will be uh, several million dollars uh, to play with at that time, not just the Browns, but other teams that are uh, uh, close to the limit cap-wise will have some money to sign free agents. And I think that's going to have like a domino effect. Uh, Players, you know, one player will sign and then that'll trigger the next guy will sign. And so I think we'll see some signings uh, the first week in June. Which is tomorrow. We're, we're recording on May 31st, so we're talking about tomorrow. Well, Could be, be the second yeah, round. Second. I'm not sure if it starts actually on June 1st or June 2nd, but it'll take, you know, a few days to get things figured out. Um, but, you know, once the uh, teams like uh, Kansas City and Buffalo decide who they want, um, then it'll signal to the players and the agents uh, uh, where they need to, you know, they may not get their first choice, but that'll tell them that they need to act quickly and get their second choice or third choice. in. So speaking of uh, Buffalo and Kansas city, let me ask Randy, Randy, where do you think Deandre Hopkins is going to go? If you had to put money on it, where do you think he's going? I think right answer is Cleveland, right? (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I don't see that happening. I really don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think Cleveland's interested. Um, I know that probably sounds sacrilegious, but I just personally, I don't see, I I like DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's a really good player. I I think he's better than any of the receivers the Browns have, but I don't think he is a significantly huge upgrade over Amari Cooper at this point. And then you're going to be moving on from somebody uh, in order to make room for him. I mean, that receiver room is packed. So I think for the amount of money that you'd have to pay him, I just don't think it moves the needle as much as people think it does. Um, So I don't think that the Browns are really into him. I mean, Hopkins is an amazing player, don't get me wrong, but if you look at his numbers over the, the last 19 games that he's played, the stats are almost identical to what Amari Cooper put up last year for the Browns. So, you know, plus he's going to be 31. Um, the last two years he's kind of had he's been banged up here and there a little bit. Nothing super serious, but it's just players don't get healthier when they get older. So, And he had a PED I, suspension. Yeah, so I, I just – to me, I just – there are enough questions out there that I don't think that the Browns are going to go and fork out that kind of money when they already made um, heavy investment in Amari Cooper, made the trade for Elijah Moore. And, I mean, really look at it. Their top two draft picks this year, they invested in a wide receiver. You know, they right. traded for Amar, uh, for Elijah Moore and then drafted Cedric Tillman. So yep. I think that they've done all this to build a wide receiver team, not to panic and blow it up just because a big name became available. I, I agree. I mean, I, I spoke about this yesterday as well. I think DeAndre Hopkins is one of those guys like, uh, God forbid I say this, is like OBJ, right? He hasn't really played a whole lot the last couple of seasons. He hasn't played more than 10 games a season. He hasn't caught more than 700 yards. You know, the the productivity isn't there. And for no. whatever reason, PED suspension, injuries, the productivity just doesn't merit the kind of contract that OBJ got. And I think he's going to hold out for an OBJ contract, but it only yeah. takes like one moron to walk out there and say, 
this guy is going to put us over the top. So we just got to spend an outrageous amount of money to make it happen. And that's where I think he'll go. The same place and, OBJ went, which is the team that gives them the most money. And, and uh, again, <laughs> I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to bash DeAndre Hopkins because he, he could very well be good. But I just, I'll, at the same time, it's not very often that guys that are in their 30s get released this late in the, in the offseason after not being able to find a trade partner and then just go and drop – 1500 yards and 10 touchdowns like everyone's just assuming he's gonna do so i i don't know maybe 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 i am the weird one but i just i don't think the browns are interested i i think if he was going to get 15 touchdowns then he'd get 30 million dollars but i think if yeah he's gonna be five <laughs> and fans um, are thinking that's what he's gonna get but i just i don't know that nfl gms are seeing the same thing which is why they couldn't find a trade partner well, uh, see, with, that's that's why I think Kansas City is probably going to, you know, because they're the you know the champs, they get their first pick. I think they probably go with Frank Clark. I don't think that they were, you know, their uh, mantra du jour is that, oh, well, we don't need wide receivers anymore because Patrick Mahomes can complete passes to anybody. So we don't really think we need the superstar wide receiver. We're going to go with Frank Clark because he was really a stud for us on defense and that's more you know more important but he wasn't he really wasn't (laughs) i keep hearing that about frank clark and he really wasn't that good he he was good in the playoffs yeah but he wasn't good in the regular season oh well yeah we don't care about playoffs we care about regular (laughs) no 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 no. okay that's yeah he had a couple good playoff games i give him credit for that but you're not being paid for the two or three playoff games you're being paid for the entire season and and he, he he wasn't as good as – I mean, I know he was from Cleveland. I'm sorry. He was from Cleveland, so he's elite. But he wasn't that good. <laughs> okay, guys, we're up on the, the commercial break here. So um, <clears throat> you're listening to the Football Philosophy and Rocket Science podcast here with me, the left guard, with the Village Elliot, and with Randy Gersey of Dog Pound Daily, site expert fame. Hang on after the break. we got some important, important, exciting news, how you can get you can win free tickets to see the Ravens at Browns in Cleveland. Hang on. And we're back. Thanks for hanging on. As I said before, we got some exciting, exciting news here. The Fanatical Elves Network is looking to give away as a way of attracting listeners two tickets that you can win simply by answering a trivia question and sending an email. So all week and all next week, if you listen to the podcasts that are part of the Fanatical Elves Network, on Tuesday we have the Johnny Cleveland podcast with John Suchan. On Wednesday it's the What the Elf Was That with yours truly. On Thursday, listen to this one, right? Football, philosophy, and rocket science. On Thursday night, there's the Fanatical Elves show. And on Friday, we have the Browns Blitz show. If you listen, each podcast will have a different trivia question. You send your answer to the trivia question to Elves Network, E-L-F-Z-N-E-T-W-O-R-K at gmail.com. You can get entered for a chance to win the tickets. If you listen to the Johnny Cleveland podcast, that's a question. That's an entry. You listen to What the Elf Was That? That's a second entry. You listen to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science? That's a third entry. See how this multiplies? You listen. You answer trivia. You send in 
your answers. You get more chances to win the tickets. <clears throat> and I'm telling you right now, my son and I are talking about going up to Cleveland for that one. So if you win the tickets, contact me and I'll hook up with you and we'll hang out up there in Cleveland for a little bit before the game. So can you get <clears throat> that's just extra. You get all three trivia questions, right? So there's only two tickets to be given away. And each show has a unique question. You answer that question. That is one entry. So you could have up to 10 entries to win these tickets. So for our podcast, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on the bottom here. Our trivia question is, what year did the Browns set the team's single season all-time passing yardage record? And who was the Browns' main quarterback that season? And as a hint, Elliot has decided you all need a hint. And as a hint, we'll let you know that the Browns fired their offensive coordinator, Norv Turner, after that season. So they set the record, then they fire their offensive coordinator. That, that so, is so Browns. <laughs> so let me give you the question again. What year did In their the Browns... defense, they fired the head coach, too. Okay. Well, that's so, true. So it wasn't... <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I mean... Wasn't just the coordinator. Brilliantly, you better fire somebody. <laughs> they lost to the Steelers into the season, I guess. So, what year did the Browns set the team's single season all time passing yardage record? Who was the Browns' main quarterback that season? Uh, there's probably multiple quarterbacks, but who was the main quarterback that season? And the hint being the Browns fired offensive coordinator Norv Turner after that season was over. And email your answer. This is very important. Email your answer to Elves Network, E L F Z N E T W O R K at gmail.com. All right, with that out the way, Elliot, I understand we got some more letters. Well, we do is have that right? some letters. We actually, I have some, um, some uh, tweets that I'd like to uh, read on the show. Before I get into that, though, I, I wanted to. Uh, make an announcement, not a happy announcement, we received this word just before the show started that uh, I understand that Jim Donovan's uh, leukemia has returned. And so I'd invite all of our uh, viewers and listeners to um, keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, Jim's a tough guy. He says that he will uh, continue to broadcast to the extent that he's able while he's uh, taking treatment uh, for leukemia. Um, I, too, am a cancer survivor, so uh, a uh, diagnosis of leukemia is uh, far from a death sentence. This is something that can be beaten. Uh, it's not easy. It is a you know a life-and-death situation, but uh, we will be keeping uh, Jim in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, uh, we're with you, Jim. Whatever we can do to uh, help you out, uh, whatever we can do, uh, we're, we're with you in, in prayer for sure. Uh, all right, with with that, I, yeah, I do have some uh, tweets that I want to read. I have to remember how to... Uh, do the uh, share screen feature. Well, Elliot, we're working on that. I want to just say something to everybody. Every week we read off the people that send us messages. Sometimes they've been kind of outrageous. We've heard from Johnny F football before. We've heard from some crazy people like Hug and Hugh. But I want you to know, if you're listening, you want to email the show and give us your input. 
You can always email me personally at theleftguard at gmail.com. Email address theleftguard at gmail.com. I'll leave that up for a little bit. Feel free to email me. We'll read your uh, comments on the air, and you can join the show. All right, Elliot, looks like we got hey, you up, man. Yeah, we have, this is from Barry Sanders, and I thought this was uh, so very interesting because famously Barry Sanders' dad would never admit that uh, his son was uh, as good as Jim Brown. But Barry uh, tweets, you can't underestimate the impact Jim Brown had on the NFL. He will be greatly missed. Additionally, his generosity and friendship with my family, the Sanders family, is a gift that we will always treasure. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Brown family and Browns fans at this time. And uh, the, the, also Emmett Smith is in the photo with uh, Jim Brown and Barry Sanders. And I thought that was really kind of cool. I don't think that uh, that uh, Barry's uh, dad is really being necessarily just being cantankerous with him. I think there really was a great deal of respect for Jim Brown and it's really not uh, being mean to your son to say that, you know, gee, uh, son, I love you, but I'm, nobody's going to be as good as Jim Brown. I don't feel that that's insulting in any kind of way. I think they really did have tremendous respect for Jim Brown. And, uh, and the next one is uh, we invited uh, Jennifer Matthews uh, to uh, phone in tonight. I, I guess uh, she didn't have the opportunity. She will be very welcome. Uh, we wanted to say a few words about her father, uh, Clay Matthews, who is deserving, in our opinion, to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, she says uh, uh, in her tweet, getting to be part of some conversations with my dad, Clay Matthews, and the late Jim Brown, the greatest running back of all time, was surreal. Oftentimes, in the middle of the craziness, I stop and take it all in and thank God for this life. I don't take moments like this for granted. And there's a picture of her with Jim Brown and with Clay. And uh, uh, just a you know really nice um, moment. Uh, um, just the Matthews family, just really remarkable. Second uh, tweet. Um, uh, and uh, th these are some of the comments back uh, from uh, fans uh, to Jennifer. Says, My grandfather was a photographer for the Plain Dealer. And always talked about how nice Jim Brown always was to him. He even got Jim to sign a picture he took of him for my mom, never getting rid of that. Uh, next is from Gary H.E. My two all-time favorite Cleveland Browns players saw every home game Clay played in Cleveland in person and probably saw Jim Brown play 12 to 15 times in person. Brown's rest, excuse me, Brown's best running back in history and either he or Tom Brady, best player of all time. Matthews has to be in the Hall of Fame soon. Then Randy Jones, one, says, very beautiful, and Jim, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too sure about the priorities there, but, yeah, there's a uh, picture shows uh, 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 Jim Brown uh, on the right and then uh, Jennifer Matthews on the left. And, uh, yeah, Jennifer is just absolutely stunning and will uh, – give Jim Brown uh, credit for being a Hollywood movie star also, but, uh, but yeah, Jennifer's just absolutely stunning. And here's a picture on, on the next slide of uh, uh, Jennifer and Clay Matthews together, both wearing the number 57 Jersey. 
and this is just uh, one man's opinion, but do you guys realize what Clay Matthews has done? And hello, Hall of Fame. Uh, first of all, he represented the game of football brilliantly. He's a class individual off the field. He's done a lot of charity work that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, and this is just an editorial, but I think, you know, the Hall of Fame needs to be the Hall of Fame. And it's not just a Hall of Stats. It's not the Hall of uh, Receiving Yards or Passing Yards, not the Hall of Sacks, uh, but it should be the Hall of Fame. And uh, clearly, if, if uh, personal integrity matters, and Clay Matthews should be there. He played 19 years as a linebacker. Who does that? He was 40 years old when he finally hung him up, led the NFL in tackles three times. He was a four-time uh, pro bowler. And one time, second team all pro, uh, not the same year that he was uh, in the Pro Bowl uh, for whatever reason. Seventh in NFL history in career tackles, 82 and a half career sacks. He had 248 starts, a 16th in NFL history. And uh, maybe uh, Junior Seau, if we're going to consider him to be a uh, uh, linebacker, uh, probably he might have had more than Clay Matthews, I'm not sure but they were both uh, really amazing in terms of their ability to be durable and to play uh, a lot of games uh, into their 40s. So what do you want from a football player? I can't think of anybody that could be more valuable to a team than Clay Matthews was to the Cleveland Browns. Okay, that's that's all I had. Uh, unless, so what uh, do you think, Randy? Do you think he belongs in the Hall of Fame? It's, you know, I, I hear everything, everything Elliot's saying, and you look at it like that, absolutely, you think he does. Um, I think the reason he's not is because if, 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 when they talk about the NFL Hall of Fame and the players in it, they always talk about, can you tell the story of the NFL without this player? And I think Clay Matthews is suffering from the fact that the Browns never won anything during his tenure. Um and, and, and so I think that, you know, you look during those 80s, they had some good teams, but they never got over that hump. I think if they even make the Super Bowl one time, I think he's in he's in there. But I think what I think he's suffering from the fact that, you know, his team just wasn't on the radar as much as some of the other superstar players that you see out there. Um, you mentioned Junior Seau, like even he, he had the year where he made the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I can't remember if he won it, if he did with the Patriots, but back during his heyday with the Chargers, I know that they made the Super Bowl. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at all the numbers and everything, that's absolutely impossible to argue against Clay Matthews. But I, I believe, I feel like that's the one thing that's that's holding them back is that, you know, outside of Cleveland, he's not getting that respect that he deserves because he just wasn't seen on a national level like some of these other guys were. Yeah, we hold single players uh, responsible for their teams. Which I, I don't think it makes any sense, but I, I think you're no, right. No, it doesn't, but but it comes back to, yeah, you don't, it, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Junior Seau wasn't carrying those Chargers teams on his back, but he was in those big games and people remember the name because they'd see him, you know, in the national spotlight games, whether it was the playoffs or even just Monday night football and things like that. And Cleveland during that time, they weren't on primetime television games. They weren't in, you know, the Super Bowl, they were in the AFC Championship game every year. So I think they just really, I think that's what's hurting him. Is that he didn't have that national, uh, he wasn't recognized nationally like a lot of these guys are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we're coming into our final thoughts. Randy, you got any final thoughts? I barely have beginning thoughts. I struggle to find those sometimes. So 
I can leave this up to y'all. <laughs> Elliot, any final thoughts? Hallelujah. I got religion. Let's play now and pay later. That's it. <laughs> Kick it down the road. Uh, I will say that I welcome Elliot to the club because he's been hearing it from me all off season about how little the cap matters. I make fun of the fact that like the saints are always in, everyone's saying they're in cap hell. And it's like, Oh yeah. And how did they get out of cap hell? They signed somebody to a $150 million contract and suddenly they have money again. So thank you for, I'm, I'm just glad that Elliot got converted and joined us in the whole, Hey, the cap doesn't matter that much. <laughs> cap well, every, it, uh, go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, it, did, it did matter when the <laughs> when the Saints got in trouble. They really were in in trouble a few years ago, but uh, but they weren't. That's what people said they were in trouble, but they never were because every year they still were the ones going out there and signing somebody in free agency. Mm -hmm. Remember the year they were down? They were like seventy million dollars in the hole. Somehow signed who's a Jarius Bird to like a seventy-two million dollar contract, and all of a sudden have yep. twenty-five million left over. It's like mm -hmm. that math made no sense. And that's when I realized, like, hey, this cap does. There's no cap. You know, they, they gave Taysom Hill a $150 million contract that somehow was only like a $5 million contract and opened up a ton of space. So, well, yeah, they Mickey, invented Mickey Loomis is a math years, genius. Uh, the voidable years uh, concept was invented to save New Orleans that year. Yeah. And, and I mean, everyone and everyone's using it now. So, mm -hmm. it, I will say that the, the there use it. Caponomics reminds me of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where all the mathematicians go to restaurants and they learn restaurant mathematics because mathematics operates differently in restaurants than it does anywhere else. This is what yeah, cap and, economics is like. Yeah. NFL math, salary cap math. It's not real math. You know, for somebody like Elliot, who is a highly intelligent person that numbers make a whole lot of sense for NFL salary caps, not for you because it's not real math. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's like it's like how much stuff can we put in a can, or how much money yeah. can we have while making just enough in the can while we still have all the money out there? Like you yeah, can pay these players a billion dollars a year, but make it look like you're only paying them a million dollars against the cap. So it's, it's, it's different. It's different this year than it was five years ago. And I'm yeah. I'm catching on. I am all learning, right, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks for coming by, Randy. Appreciate it. I know we yeah, ran a little long, me. but appreciate you coming on to share us your wisdom. All right, guys. Next week, come back. Football philosophy and rocket science. Remember to read the trivia question, answer the trivia question, email the trivia question, and if you win the tickets, I'll find you up there in Cleveland, and we'll hang out. All right. Thank you for listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast. Please Am like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow Joel on Twitter at The Left Guard and Elliot at The Village Elliot. <laughs>